Bibles, and let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. People always ask, Brother Adam, why does it look like you're not very nervous when you get up there? And the secret lies all the way in Egypt. There's a large river there called Denial. So you just live in that river until this point right now. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's read in verse 14. The Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we we thank you for tonight, God, just the opportunity to be in your house. And Father, like Brother Nate was saying, it is June and there's a lot of things going on, Father, but you're doing a lot of things in the lives of your people, and we're sure thankful, Father, for it. We're thankful for the good report that we've received so far from camps. And, Lord, what a blessing that is, and and that you're still working, God, in the lives of our youth and our young people. And, Lord, it's amazing, Father. I pray, God, that you be with us tonight. I pray that you calm my nerves, God, that you put me behind the cross, Lord, that you would be lifted up and honored and glorified tonight. And pray, God, that you'd give something to your people, Father, something we could take home and, and apply to our lives, Father, that we would be willing to do so, God. I pray, Lord, that once again you'd be with us this evening. Pray these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so I have to start with jokes. I don't, know, I don't know any other way to start, so I have to start with jokes. So this is, this is a story. This is not my uncle. Okay? The Bible says in Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, that the wicked are like the, the tossing sea which cannot rest, so there's no peace for the wicked. And after a family dinner one Sunday afternoon, my dad and uncles were sitting around the living room talking politics. Uncle Walter kept dozing off, and dad would tickle his ear with a napkin corner. They all enjoyed watching him wake and swat his ear as if being bothered by a fly. And then finally, when Walter awoke somewhat irritated, another uncle said, You know, Walter, the Bible says there's no rest for the wicked. And Uncle Walter responded, I know, but they don't have to keep me up with them. (laughs) And then that got me thinking of the verse in Proverbs where it said, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, which is why I don't jog. That's why I'm not a runner, right there. And if I see one of y'all running, the only thing in my head is, what are they hiding? <laughs> yes, it is good. <laughs> now I don't have to run. <laughs> That's the best part of that whole story, is that I don't have to run. Okay. So nowadays, uh, I want you to look in, in chapter 3 and in verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I think a lot of us have talked about whether or not today is worse than maybe a generation past. And we've had those debates before of of is today more wicked than what it was in the past. And, And the answer is maybe, probably. If you think about times past and you think about all the wickedness, I mean there was dark ages and holocaust and wars and Thousands and millions of people that lost their lives through sinful men and sinful actions. 
but it seems nowadays that the access to those things, and we've talked about this before, is, is, is just closer, like it's in your pocket. Like you can access sin like we couldn't before. And so you start to think, well, are the days getting, getting worse? If the days are getting worse, what then? What happens if the days, if you search that on the internet, I'll tell you, you'll find uh, underground shelters. I did it. So underground shelters, you can buy food in a can like this that lasts like four years, that if you ever eat it, it will turn you into concrete or something. But you don't want to eat that stuff, I can guarantee that comes in a bucket. Don't eat food that comes in a bucket. It's a good rule of thumb. You'll also find a practical guide to the apocalypse. I found that too. But in 2 Timothy 3.1, it says, This know also that in the last time perilous days shall come. Paul's telling Timothy here, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse as the days go on. And we're going to read this list here, and it won't take us very long, but we're going to read this list of, of things that Paul tells us to look for. But every preacher, I'm sure, for decades past, have looked at this list and compared it to the time that they're living and said, yes, it's bad. But I can almost guarantee you, too, that if those same preachers of years past could look at today, they might say, yeah, it's worse. So what I want you to do is I want you to, as we read these verses... I want you to compare them to today. I want you to think about what the times are like today as we read these verses. Can you all do that? Okay. It's Wednesday night. You all good? Okay. Okay. Chapter, uh, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents. Go to a Walmart and just listen. It's amazing that that's in there. That that's a sign. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Truce breakers. False accusers. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Paul tells Timothy, from such turn away. For For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I read those verses, and we were comparing exactly what it was until I said silly women. And then you all started thinking about that, didn't you? That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. So these, this silly women, if you look in verse 5, he's saying that these, these men, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort, these men, they creep into houses and they lead captive silly women that are laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts. Paul isn't saying that all women are silly women. And the Bible isn't saying that all women are silly women, but he is saying that there is some. 
Can we all agree on that? Okay. I'm not, so pastor was up here with a nail and a hammer and declared Sunday Women's Day, and now Brother Adam's up here talking about silly women over the pulpit. Okay? Bear with me for just a minute, I promise. He's not saying that all women are silly. Paul is saying that this is the sort of men that have a form of godliness, but are denying the power thereof, and they prey on women who are hurting, who are stuck in sin, who are stuck in guilt, and vulnerable to their lusts, and gullible, who are vulnerable to their emotions. They prey on these women, and that's what you need to look out for, is what he's saying. He's saying, these are the men, these are the, this is the, the thing that you can use in this context to identify those men. Does that make sense? And so Paul, we're going to come back to that. In verse 10, he's saying, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. He's telling Timothy about his example. Now he's going to tell Timothy about his experiences in verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So in verse 15, or verse 14, sorry, Paul turns his attention now to Timothy. He's telling Timothy what to watch out for and how, what it's going to be like and the things that he went through and the things that, that Timothy's going to go through. So he's telling Timothy, he's saying, hey, the, these things are going to come. Not only that, but if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, persecutions are going to come. And then not only that, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse and worse. Bunch of good news. He's telling Timothy it's going to get worse. But he didn't tell Timothy to, you know what, just go hide and wait. He he turns his attention to Timothy And he says, but Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. What he's saying is there's something coming. Times are going to get worse. There are some things you're going to have to go through. And things are not going to get better. But you have to keep going. Do you see that? He says, but continue thou therein. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. He's telling Timothy, there is hope here, but there are some things that you're going to need to do. And the first thing that you're going to need to do is to keep going. He's saying, keep going. That's the first point for tonight. Oh, I forgot to tell you the title, Brother Patrick. Don't be a silly woman. Don't be a silly woman. I told Becca I wouldn't do any more Star Wars titles. It was going to be A New Hope, but couldn't do that. Don't be a silly woman. So he's saying there's some things that you need to do. And the first thing he says that you need to do is to keep going, to continue in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's saying to keep going in that knowledge because there are evil men, there are seducers, there are deceiving people. And that deception and that seduction is even happening right now. It was mentioned in the prayer letter. 
You, talk, you start to look at the, the, the transgender agenda and all that, that fun stuff. I don't like talking about it. I don't want to talk about it. But this is the, one of the best ways that I can see that that seduction and that, that uh, uh, dece- deceiving is going on. So you think about that. It's a hot topic nowadays. And, and you think about the deception and the indoctrination that's going on to our kids. And to little kids. Who are five, six, seven years old, who in a classroom setting are being talked about sexuality, which shouldn't ever happen in that setting with that age group, let alone talk about they can be what they want to be and have what parts they want to have and, and, and the, the whole side of that. But you need to look at and, and exactly what this is talking about is they're doing that for a reason. They're going to the kids for a reason. Because the kids are vulnerable. The kids are vulnerable to it. To what's being taught to them. And this is exactly what he's talking about with these silly women. That they were vulnerable to these men. And he's saying to watch out for those things. That you can identify them by that. You need to watch out for that. You need to stay. You need to continue. You need to keep going in the things that thou hast learned. There is more out there. There is a movement in churches like ours. You've got to understand that, that they know how to hit you where you're vulnerable. They know how to hit you where you're vulnerable. There are deceivers and seducers who have that form of godliness but are denying the power thereof. And there's a movement in churches like ours. There's a group of disgruntled Christians whose goal it is is to capitalize on your emotions of being raised in a Christian home. Or of being raised in a good church. And they do that by focusing on all the the rules that you had. All the things that you had to, the rules that you had to follow. And thereby trying to get you to not continue in the things that you've already learned. Their express goal is of getting you to stop continuing for the Lord. And they will take you captive like the silly woman that you are. Because you've left yourself vulnerable to those things. Now that's worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning because that does happen. And it happens for a couple different reasons. Number one, parents aren't perfect. Uh, The kids were out swinging on the back swing the other day. And Becca was sitting there, and we, we were looking at our kids and just thinking about, number one, how good they got it. But, you know, Becca made the comment, I hope they're happy. And it's okay to be happy. want our kids to be happy. But I want my kids to be holy. And in doing that, there are going to be some things that I don't want them to do. And you know what? There's some things in my past that I don't want them to repeat. 
And there's some things that I've done that when I see them even getting close to it, I want to put a stop to it. Because I don't even want them to come close to that. Now, they could probably do it and be just fine. But you've got to understand, especially with first-generation Christians, we've seen the end of the road. We've seen the scars that come from sin. We see the baggage that comes from that. And that the protection for our kids is there to try to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, you may go too far in some areas. And I'm not excusing everything that's ever been done. So there are some bad things that have been done. You have to understand that too and acknowledge that. Not only that, but there's church culture that's changed over the years. And rules and things like that that come along with that that don't even have anything to do with Christianity sometimes. And it creates confusion in our kids at times. But what kids need to understand, and especially our young adults in 20s and 30s and 40s, as we grow up, we have to realize that, number one, our parents had the right motive for doing those things. They had the right motive. They were trying to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And they weren't perfect. And guess what? You're not perfect. And you can do different things with your kids now. That's great. Go for it. But you have to realize that if you're just doing something different with your kids just because your parents did something with you, you better find out why they were doing it in the first place. Instead of just changing something just because. They had the right motive in doing it. And then number two, you benefited from it. You may not have agreed with every single thing. But if you're here listening, then there's a good chance that, you know what, you probably got saved when you were younger. You accepted Jesus Christ because your parents had you in a good church and they were trying to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you know what, you were probably in a good church when you found your wife or your husband. And you're probably in a good church now and you're benefiting from it with your kids and your wife and your husband and the life that God has blessed you with. But when we stop continuing in the things that we've already learned, we leave ourselves susceptible. We leave ourselves susceptible and open to those emotions and things that others can prey on when we haven't settled those things and continued in what we're supposed to be continuing in. You've got to understand there's deceivers out there that will take that vulnerability Take that hurt and the pain, and it may be real hurt and pain. It may be. But they will take that and twist it. Not with the goal of helping you, but with the goal of stopping you from continuing. There are deceivers and seducers and evil men. And that's what Paul is talking about to Timothy. You have to keep going. You have to keep going in the things that you've learned. So how do I stay away from being deceived in such a way? You've got to keep going. Continue in the things that you've learned and the things that you've been assured of. Uh, this, this is a young church. In the grand scheme of things, our church is a young church. It hasn't been here for 100 years, 200 years. Most of us here, above the age of around 8, have been at a different church. How many, raise your hand if you've been in a different church. Okay, yep, that's, that's everybody, just so you know. You've been in a different church. And most of you know, I was too. And I'm not going where you think I'm going. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm thankful for where I came from. I'm thankful for the church that I was raised in. Because it was at that church 
that I heard a pastor talk about heaven and hell. I heard him talk about how that I'm a sinner and that I needed a savior. And that if I didn't, eternal hell fire was, was where I was headed for. And it scared me out of hell. And, it, and because of that, I was able to go to my grandma's house after and get that settled and get saved and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And then not only that, I'm thankful for a church that was still there when I was 16 years old. And I'm thankful for a church family and friends that pulled me in and got me involved in church. I'm thankful for the years that I spent serving in a bus ministry there for 11 years. I'm thankful for a youth group that I was a part of and all the decisions that I made for the Lord at that time. I'm thankful for a college and career group that I was a part of and the camps and things that we went to. Because it was at a camp. It was at a camp that, that, that the, the pastor and the youth group leader and the college career leader brought in another pastor from North Dakota. And he came and, and was preaching and talking to me, and he said, You should come visit sometime. So I drove up there and sat in that church, and then it was like God was tapping me on the shoulder and said, This is where you need to be. So camps are important, number one. And it doesn't mean that your kids are going to be hauled off a thousand miles away, but big decisions, and God can do great things with the decisions that are made at camp. And I'm thankful for the church that I went to in North Dakota. I'm thankful for the friendships that I made there. Miss Amy is over there. She's from North Dakota. You need to meet her. Raise your hand, Amy. Okay? Becca, raise your hand. There you go. Amy, raise your hand. That was our college and career group, the three of us. Okay, I can't remember which ones we named ourselves, but I, I, was your, I think I was and. There was college and career, I believe, something like that. There was three of us. But I'm thankful for that time. That was a sweet time in my life. I'm thankful for being able to serve in that church and be a, a deacon and, and teach Sunday school and teach nursing homes. I'm thankful for what the Lord taught me there. I'm thankful for the, the beautiful wife that the Lord gave me there. No, I'm thankful for where I came from. And I say all that to say this. A lot of us have come from different places. Every one of us has come from a different place. And some of us have come from places that we loved dearly. And we are there for, not there now for a variety of reasons. Honestly, aren't that important right now. But what is important is that you need to understand is just because you're no longer there. The truth that you learn there is not now null and void. The truth that you learn there is not now null and void. The service that you did for the Lord there is not now null and void. If a pastor or a church or anything like that hurt you, it went a different way from what you thought it should, whatever the reason you think it is, what you learn there is not now null and void because you're not there anymore. I'm also thankful the Lord brought me here. So thankful. I was crying over there. I, I was going to say I had allergies, but I wasn't. I was crying. But I was over there in the, in the chair just thinking about the, the, the path that the Lord had saved when I was eight years old. And I would have never thought at eight years old that the Lord would bless me in the ways he has. It's amazing. It's amazing. The work you did, the truth you learned, it's not null and void now. Say, Brother Adam, how do you know that? Look at verse 12. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus, or sorry, verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, 
right here, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Because the things that you've learned are of Jesus Christ, and they're held by him and not by your circumstances. Keep going in the things that you've learned. Look at verse 15. He says, And from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Since you were a child, you have known him. Some of us have grown up in church. And, and a lot of the wisdom today would say that, that because you've known him as a child, that, that it means it's childish. And that's something you can fight when you're older. Is trying to figure out if you were just a child and didn't fully understand anything. But when you learn truth, just because you're a child, it doesn't make the, make the decision you made childish. Now, kids can do some childish things. I was trying to think of the most childish thing I've done. There's a long list. It's a long list. When, I, when we were growing up, my, my cousins, we'd go stay at my grandma's house. And my grandma had a hide-a-bed in her living room. And the hide-a-bed, you could pull that thing out and pull the mattress down so it made like a little bit of a hill. And we would play push-push. Andrew, I'm pretty sure you played push-push with us. We were not good at naming things. We played push-push. So a bunch of kids wrestling around. Last one on the hide-a-bed wins. Okay? All fine and great. Okay, kids get hurt. Okay, that's fine. But there was a fireplace right there. That's not the bad part. Fireplace is fine. You crack your head open, okay. But around the fireplace was lava rock. You guys know what lava rock is? It's where they invented the cheese grater from. You fall on lava rock, you're coming up a couple pounds lighter. Did some childish things. Me and my cousin Casey at my grandma's house would would make yum-yums. Told you, terrible at naming stuff. (laughs) Yum-yums. Grandma always had a a Sprite bottle, like one of the big liter bottles that didn't have any carbonation anymore. Probably been there for four years. But sitting in there, and we would take anything around grandma's house, jams, jellies, butterscotch discs. Old people, butterscotch discs are not the best candy in the world. There are other things out there. I promise you. There's a whole aisle. There's a whole aisle of them. I can give you a list of things that are better than butterscotch discs. But we'd put them all in there and and mix it all around and try to make something. We were doing what Dutch Brothers does now. We could have been rich. Yum-yums. Wouldn't have sounded so dumb then. Kids do childish things, but what about that lad that gave a fish and loaves? Just because you were a child when you found the truth of God, it doesn't mean it's no longer truth. And he's saying that these scriptures that they've known from when you were a child, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You found the wisdom of God in this truth. And you have to keep going in it. Number two. Sorry, we are running low on time, so I'm skipping forward a little bit. Number two. First point was keep going. You have to keep going in the truth that you've learned. Number two, you've got to keep digging. Keep digging. Look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
You, you, you've known the scriptures. And what Paul's saying here is for Timothy is to keep digging. You haven't, you haven't learned everything yet. It, it, it's worth more. There's more in there. You don't know it all yet. You haven't arrived yet. You have to keep digging. It's given by inspiration of God. And, and he tells Timothy to keep digging in doctrine. To keep digging in doctrine because you need to know what you believe. And you need to know why you believe it. You need to know, and I'll say it, you need to know what you believe. And you need to know why you believe it. Because there are evil men, seducers, who will take that and will throw that at you. And if you don't know why you believe what you believe, you're leaving a foothold open to that. You are leaving yourself susceptible to that. You're being a silly woman. You understand? You have to know what you believe and why you believe it. Just so you know, men, you can be a silly woman. And don't get offended at the silly woman thing. I'm not talking about all women. Okay, I'm talking about the fact that there are people who will take people who are easily deceived. And it's not all women. It's people who have left themselves vulnerable to it. But you can be easily influenced. You can be vulnerable. I remember after, after getting into church, I got saved when I was 8. I didn't start going to church until I was 16. I brought my Bible with me to to school every single day, went to public school, and, and, and I had a lot bigger Bible than this. It looked more like a dictionary, and that's what kids would always say. Why are you bringing a dictionary to class? And I'd say, no, it's the Word of God. And then it was just a thing. But I remember sitting in, in, a, in a class, and there was a Mormon girl in front of me, nice girl. And we were having a good conversation, but she was telling me that in the Bible, and she didn't know where it was, but she was telling me that in the Bible it says that faith without works is dead. And that you, you, you have to work your way to heaven. And because I was a baby Christian, my first thing was, no, it's not. Can't be. That's, that's against everything I've been taught. Just so you know, it is in there. It's in James chapter 2, verse 20. And the, the thing is, is if you actually read the verses around there, it'll explain itself. But that's the problem, is you can't cherry pick. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. You've got to look at the context around it. Amen. He says you need to keep digging for reproof. For reproof. Reproof is blame expressed to the face. Blame expressed to the face. So working in the bus ministry, we had a great idea. Let's have all these kids go out into a field and drop candy from an airplane. Awesome. Awesome every day of the week. Awesome sauce. Wonderful. You go out there, and so we, we're doing it for the first time, and the, we see the plane coming, and we get these 150 kids out there with a bunch of workers, and we're running out in the field, and there is pure joy. Joy unmeasurable on the face of me and all those kids. Candy is about to rain from the sky. I have prayed for this. So we run out into the field with just joy beaming from our faces. And there is hundreds of us running out there. And the first candy starts to drop. And probably the greatest moment of my life. 
until that first candy bag hits the ground. Boom! And then all that joy turns to fear and what I only imagined D-Day looked like. And you start seeing candy bags just exploding and kids turning, ah, ah, and just running backwards. And I'm running too. Every kid for themselves. I can't save them all. There's too many. And I look back just in time to see, see one of the workers, one of the girls who was standing up like this. And to see a candy bag just, oh, right in the face. Felt sorry for her, but also one of the best moments of my life. In a different way. The Bible is profitable, meaning it does you good to get smacked in the face once in a while. By the preaching and the teaching and the reading of the Word of God. How many times have you been reading your Bible and God points something out to you that hits you right on the nose? Almost as if He knew where you were going to be reading today. Of all the pages you could have opened to, I tell you, it's the only book that when you read it, it reads you back. And sometimes it does cut sharper than any two-edged sword. And reproof, it takes, it takes and it teaches some humility. Mike Tyson said, and I won't say it like Pastor said, at men's retreats, because <laughs> he went full on, lisp and all. But everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Meaning sometimes it takes a punch in the face for you to reconsider the way that you were going and the plan that you had. The Bible, the scripture, it's given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for that. You have to dig in and you have to look for that. He says keep digging for correction. What's the difference between reproof and correction? Reproof is exposing our deviation from God's word and correction is bringing us back to it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's amazing how the word of God can direct our steps. But when you think about it, it's amazing that correction is offered in the first place. With how much we mess up and how much grace and mercy we've been given. But, but this correction, it shows his mercy because it's offered in the first place. And it shows his grace because he'll never leave us. It's amazing that the prodigal son can come home. It's amazing that he'll leave the 99 for the one. Paul tells Timothy, with all that's coming and what's going on, you need to keep digging for correction. You need to make sure you're on the right path. You need to course correct where you need to. Because there are things coming. There are things going on that you need to protect yourself from. And you got to look at yourself and make sure you're going the right way. And it says, lastly, to keep digging on instruction, digging for instruction for right of, in righteousness. Meaning to stay in the teaching and direction and knowledge of the word of God. That you wouldn't be ignorant in righteousness. Ignorant in obedience to Christ. He says you got to dig for these things. 
that you wouldn't be ignorant in your obedience to Christ. I know it's like Brother Z said last Wednesday. It's a Wednesday night crowd. To say be in church, it's like, yeah, Brother Adam, we're here. Are you, though? Are you? I feel more powerful now. That was amazing. All right. You guys ready for another half hour? Let's go. He's saying you need this book that you wouldn't be ignorant. And in so being ignorant, be vulnerable. And in being vulnerable that you wouldn't be a silly woman that was easily deceived. The last thing he says is to keep focus. Keep focus. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I love that word, truly furnished. Most Bibles take it out. But I love it. It says that the man of God may be perfect. And it, it means complete. It means complete. It means fully informed. It means to leave nothing wanting. It means capable and proficient in what God has called you to do. That you're complete. That you have dug and searched the Holy Scriptures. That you have kept yourself in alignment with God. That you're not wavering in the signs, in the, in the, with the signs of the times of the last days. That you haven't given yourself a foothold. That you don't have a spot where you're vulnerable to this. That you may be perfect. Thoroughly, truly furnished. Truly furnished is a shipping term. And it means to completely deck out or to fully supply. It was used to depict a ship that had previously been ill-equipped for traveling, but because its owner had decked it out with new equipment and gear, this ship had become thoroughly furnished to sail anywhere in the world. That this boat was fully supplied, completely equipped, or thoroughly furnished. That's why I love that word. We're not just to be perfect and and complete in those ways, but we're to be thoroughly furnished. You think about a ship on the sea with the unpredictable nature of the sea. You have to be prepared for what not, what only, not what might just come today, but what might come tomorrow. The sea's scary. I don't know if you know that or not. Brother Adam does not go swimming in the ocean. I do not have flippers or gills. God wanted me on land. I'm good with that. There's a lot of scary stuff out there. Quinn, Quinn almost didn't want to go to Hawaii just because they were sharks. Huh? Yep. Even on land, we're still scared of sharks. But with the unpredictable nature of the sea, you've got to be prepared for what, what may not just come today, but what might come tomorrow. Prepared for whatever the sea might throw at you. And with the unpredictable nature of life, God's called us to be truly furnished unto good works, unto the things that God has called us to do, which means ready and equipped for what he's called us to do. 
Paul admonishes Timothy to be ready, complete, truly furnished for what is coming today and what may come tomorrow. Ready to not only withstand evil men, seducers, liars, deceivers, and persecution, but to do something for God. God didn't call you to just weather a storm. God didn't call you to just weather a storm. We're not to be prepared just to weather the storm that's coming. Yeah, it's getting worse. God didn't say, I want you to be prepared just because it's getting worse. I want you to strengthen yourself just so you won't fall, just so you can stand firm. He did say that, but he didn't just say that. He said we are to be thoroughly furnished unto good works. The ship is going somewhere. The ship is going somewhere. So we prepare ourselves not only to not be taken advantage of and to give a foothold and, and, and to be a silly woman, but to do something for God. God didn't call us to just weather the storm. And Paul's telling Timothy to stay focused, that you need to be prepared for the sea, but also for the destination. Pastor says he's landing the plane, I'm docking the boat. I came up with that on the fly. <laughs> wave. Came up with that on the wave. It's easy to get stuck in a rut. It is. How many of y'all been there? As a Christian, you've been stuck in a rut. It's easy to get stuck in a rut more than once. You are exactly right, sis. It's like you're in the wind with, or in the sea with no wind. And you're just stuck. And it's easy because all you have to do to get there is do nothing. Stop digging. Stop continuing in what you already know. Stop preparing. But that's where the ship analogy ends. Because you're not a ship. And you have access to everything that you need. Even when you're stuck and you feel stuck, you have access to everything that you need. You have access to be truly furnished. You have access to get where you need to get going to. You have access to those things. You have access to everything that you need. And if you would just keep going in what you've already learned, if you would keep digging in what you already have and keep focused on the shore and keep focused on where God wants you to go, Paul's telling Timothy that there's, there's victory in this. He's, he's not telling him there's no hope, that it's time to abandon and we need to go live in a shack up in the middle of the woods and hide out and eat our already dried rice, dried food. Why? I'd, I'd rather just die out here. <laughs> Amy came to visit, and, and I said, we, I've planned your whole trip around food, just so you know. I plan whole vacations around food. Where are we eating here? Okay, well, if I'm eating here, we can do that, but we're eating here. See, Brother Adam, you don't look like that's what you do. Thank you. <laughs> but that's what I do. But we've got to keep focused on the shore and what God has put in front of us. And what Paul is telling Timothy is that there's still hope. 
There is hope. There will always be hope. Because that hope and that what our, us getting to the shore is not dependent on us. We have everything that we need. If we would just continue in what we've been given. Continue in what we have. And keep digging. And then we would stay focused on it. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Bex, if you'd come. Two questions tonight. And I tried to end a little bit early. I know it's June. I know we're all tired. But with a topic like this, there's two questions that I want to ask you. And just signified with an uplifted hand so we can pray for you. How many of you tonight would say, Brother Adam, you know what? I am struggling with the truth that I've always known. And, and whether it's, it's voices in this world or I'm unprepared for the stage of life that I'm in, but it's increasing my doubt in what I've already known. How many of us tonight would say, you know what, Brother Adam, that's me? How many would raise your hand and say, Brother Adam, that's me? Amen, I see him. Second, and it's a Wednesday night crowd, I, I get it. But second, how many of you tonight can say honestly, no, just like the song, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I don't struggle with doubt over what I learned, but I'm, brother, I'm not digging like I should be. I'm not thoroughly furnished for what's going on. Not only for what today, but what tomorrow might bring. How many would say, brother, Adam, that's me tonight. Just like a ship that's stranded at sea, that's where that analogy breaks down. We have access to the same God who saved us, to the same God who keeps us. And it's not up to us. It's not by our power that we're going to get anywhere. If you're stuck tonight, if you're not digging like you need to, there is help in that. And that's what this altar's for. That's why we're here. I asked you early, are you here? If you're here and you need help, come get help. It is that simple. Come get help tonight. As Brother Nate sings, the altar's open.